You're listening to the So What Podcast. A healthy understanding of the Trinity is unnecessary for one's justification. A healthy understanding of the Trinity is very beneficial for one's sanctification. So in the process of our discipleship and in the process of us becoming more and more conformed to the image of the Son, operating out of our justification, operating out of our salvation, understanding who God is allows us to, I'll say it like this, be a better Christian. Welcome to the So What Podcast, where we discuss theological and philosophical issues to ask that obvious question, so what? I'm your host, Kyle Bashirs, and I'm joined by our cast of contributors, Matt O'Reilly, Brad Mills, and Travis Buchanan. Well, on this second of a two-part episode, the crew will continue our discussion on Sibelius and modalism. If you haven't listened to the first episode, we'd highly recommend you go back and listen. Well, before we head over to our discussion, we'd like to thank you for listening to the So What podcast and for sharing with your friends. If you enjoy the show, please help our podcast grow by rating and reviewing it in iTunes. You can find out more information about the show and its contributors at SoWhatPodcast.com. Questions about this and any future episodes can be submitted by emailing hello at SoWhatPodcast.com. And you can keep up with the latest news by following us on Twitter at SoWhat underscore podcast or by liking our Facebook page, just search for So What Podcast. Well, let's continue on with our discussion. But anyway, so yeah, my my personal experience, just to continue uh, what you said, Travis, um, you know, I often heard of uh, those who baptized in Jesus' name only, uh, the history of Pentecostalism uh, is, is you know, especially in the Southeast, uh, just to forget the, the West Coast phenomenon, it's, a, it's one big family history. You know, all the early Pentecostal leaders were, you know, extended relatives. <laughs> so um, my family, uh, you know, knew people who had become uh, UPC and, and all the rest. So I, I knew about it and all that. But in my experience, and this, this isn't exclusive to Pentecostalism, because when I was in high school, my dad uh, became a Southern Baptist, and I'm a convictional Southern Baptist, but it's, it's even present here, is that it, it appears that in contemporary Christianity, there is a major emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit. And while UPC are known as Jesus only, it seems that contemporary Christianity uh, in, in you know, the contemporary worship scene— or all, all of the conferences, things like that, emphasizes Christian experience on a really, really elevated scale. And we primarily think of the Holy Spirit as our means of experiencing God, and, and, and that's true, right? The Holy Spirit um, is, is God's presence with us everywhere, leading, guiding, teaching us. So we believe that and affirm that, that He is incredible for our Christian experience. But the way we emphasize the Holy Spirit's work sometimes seems to be spirit-only Christianity rather than Jesus-only Christianity. So 
that's sort of a long, long and short of it. Y'all feel free to interject anything you want to do there. But remind us again the point about Jesus only. What are, what are they trying to emphasize? The Jesus only uh, is sort of a shorthand way of describing their distinctive view of baptism, which rejects the baptismal formula given in Matthew twenty eight in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, yeah. in favor of truthfully what we see in Acts, right, where they're baptized in the name of Jesus. And, you know, that's a that's a different issue altogether that I guess we should we could get into some other time. But they baptize in the name of Jesus only baptize you in the name of Jesus. They do that because they, in one sense, believe that God's name is Jesus, that that is who God is, is is Jesus. Um, I know Kyle uh, has probably even a better, firmer firmer grasp of that than I do, uh, being in conversation with uh, Oneness Pentecostals himself. So, Kyle, can you help us out? Yeah, I I mean, you you hit all the main issues. It was a big schism for the budding Pentecostal movement in the early uh, 20th century. It was 1916 that this issue sort of arose in Pentecostalism, and the movement of Pentecostalism sparked by the Azusa Street Revival out in California— had just gotten wheels. It was it was just moving. And essentially, because of modalism, that Matthean formula was rejected. Yeah. And there were actually calls of rebaptism. So if you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, you needed to become rebaptized into the name of Jesus only. And then they got the the title or the nickname Jesus only. I, I think that it's just probably the most tangible example within Christianity today of the tradition that Sabellian started uh, so many centuries ago. Yeah, this is alive and well. Yeah, I mean, one of the only, you know, self-aware modalistic, That's right. yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, we're talking about it's easy to drift into it, but this is, you know, Self-professed. Fully, this is what we embrace. That's a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, flag was yeah. planted, and and uh, that's that's where they hang out. What do you guys think? Are there any other examples? So we've kind of talked about to answer the so what question. What does this matter? Um, it's an easy heresy to slip into in prayer. It is alive and well in a very large Pentecostal denomination. Are there any other areas that we can think of today where we might find modalism? If it is so easy, uh, you would think that this would be more commonplace. Uh, And you mentioned again, Brad, someone's very innocent and perhaps even worshipful tweet, which just happened to be, (laughs) you know, a heresy. Right. Unfortunately. (laughs) Right. The the problem is perhaps one step back there with just doing tweet theology in the first place. That should never happen. No, 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 no. Don't ever do that. Please stop tweeting theology. Just stop tweeting everyone. One thing thing that comes to mind uh, to me was a really popular book back in the day called The Shack. Do you remember that, William Young? Yeah, yeah. And he got all sorts of flack. He was writing this book to explain the Trinity and loss and grieving to his children, if I remember the story correctly. A noble a noble aim. Yeah, exactly. And um, the synopsis of the book was a man named Mac who had experienced loss, gets invited to a shack. Uh, so maybe that's the connection between Mac and Shack. And lo and behold, in the shack, the Trinity exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a African-American woman representing the Father, a Jewish or Mediterranean carpenter representing the Son, and then an Asian woman representing the Holy Spirit. As you can imagine, that was a little bit controversial, but moreover, the controversy surrounded a, a line about 
halfway or toward the end of the book where Mac looked at the father's wrists and saw that the father bore the same scars of crucifixion that he believed the son must have also bore. Yeah. Um, what is that? Is, is that a healthy way to understand the Trinity? Or was uh, Young innocently yet mistakenly pushing us towards modalism? Yeah, that's not a helpful way of explaining to us the act of atonement and the, and the person of the Trinity who suffered on the cross for us. Uh, that's blurring the distinctions between the Father and Son in an unhelpful way. But uh, it's, it's funny because, I mean, you know, the shack, I think, is heralded as this uh, incredibly helpful uh, new way of thinking about things. But it's really just a regurgitation of the old, same old heresy. In fact, modalism is often known uh, by the name patripassianism, from, from the Latin father and uh, to suffer. Or uh, yeah, so I mean, at the end of the day, to to say that the Father is the one who died on the cross is uh, unbiblical and unhelpful. Yes, you're confounding the persons, which you don't want to do, according to our creeds. I will say this: I've not read it. I'm not going to read it, not because I am scared that it'll get on me, whatever bad beliefs or doctrines <laughs> are in there, but just because. Uh, I prefer good literature, I guess, in my limited reading time, and I don't know that it necessarily qualifies on that on that scale. Wow! Or any talking like <laughs> or any or any fiction that's sold in a Christian bookstore. <laughs> However, I will say oh, this: yeah. on, on behalf of fiction, um, it is a work of fiction. It's in an imaginative that's right. exploration that's right. of these issues. It does have a noble goal. Certainly not um, a systematic theology. Yes, right. it's it's not intended to be broken down that's as correct. a creed. Now. It's fair play to say these are blatantly harmful doctrines if you tease them out and are damaging for people to embrace in their psyche. I can understand that. But I don't, on the surface, have a problem with someone um, writing a supposal. I don't have a problem with Lewis making Christ a lion in mm -hmm. a world like Narnia. Mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't spend much time listening to someone's objection that, well, Jesus was a man and God became a man and God can never become a lion right. because then what, what right. is, our whole theology unravels. Right. You know, right. I just want to tell that person to calm down right. and, you know, try and enjoy a book written for children. So, uh, you know, I want to give some freedom for people to, um, explore in those areas, but the knock on effects of a book like that for less, uh, informed readers who, you know, have an encounter with God through mm -hmm. reading it, which I will, won't deny occurs, you know, it can open up someone's emotions and the spirit can use things like that. To, um, but then what's attached to that encounter with God in terms of, you know, believing the father carries the stigmata or died on the cross right. for our sins or things like that. And the persons of the Trinity become confounded. That's obviously not, you know, not a good result, but, and I don't think you're saying this, Brad, but I'm not ready to burn the book. Um, I, I burned my copy a long time ago. Yeah, well, that's that's very Southern Baptist stuff. <laughs> yes. So yeah. just I, teasing. I like I like what you you're <laughs> just using teasing Southern Baptists. <laughs> I like the example that you used with Lewis. Uh, I don't think you should have a problem with Jesus being represented by Aslan the lion. I think if Lewis had written into the Chronicles of Narnia, the father figure, the emperor over the sea, exactly coming, and 
sacrificing himself in the first book and then resurrecting three if days the later. the emperor died instead of the lion. Instead yeah. of the lion. That's that's the yeah. problem. And Lewis right. probably wouldn't have done that. Probably um, not. With I his don't respect think was, for the Athanasian Creed. Think, that's right. Um, I think, and I think you guys would agree, that one of the most helpful ways to adopt some of this language, kind of like a glossary of terms, is the Athanasian Creed. Yeah. Do you want to read a little portion of that? Yeah, I would love to. And that is one of the ways the creeds are so helpful is these are very tricky waters, dangerous waters, where you know heresy can swim up and bite your leg off when you're not expecting it. And so we shouldn't be cavalier with our statements about God, especially when we're discussing the two natures of Jesus mm-hmm. unified in the one person of Christ or the relationships between Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, you know, my, again, teaching courses like Introduction to Theology where students are coming at these things for the first time or having to conceptualize in language for the first time their understanding of this revelation in Christ and his relationship to the Father or the two natures and the one person. Inevitably, if they're trying to do this on their own, paraphrasing uh, their conception of God, they're making heretical claims without intending to, mm-hmm. just as they conceive of it, here's a here's a way to try and put this paradox in language. And so without being too rigid a traditionalist, I think we really need to go back to what is the officially endorsed language the church has given us to discuss these relationships and then let us use that language as at least the baseline or starting point for the discussion. Mm-hmm. Hopefully at the end, maybe we circle back to it. Um, and then there's room to then discuss, well, what does that mean? And there's even an antidote I'll share. I don't know if uh, anecdote, not something you take if you've been poisoned, but right. a story. Right, right. Um, I used to think those were the same word for much of my life, I think, <laughs> until my wife corrected me <laughs> they have led about you 10 years problems. ago. Yeah. Um, take this anecdote. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> You've been bit by a rattlesnake. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> um, th- this is reportedly Augustine. I don't remember where I heard this, and I haven't uncovered it in his writing, so it may be apocryphal, but um, referring to the language of persons for God or personae in the, persona in the Latin, Augustine saying something to the effect of when we... We say persons of God not because we know what it means when applied to God, but because we judge it better to say something rather than nothing about these mm. Trinitarian relationships. And so, for me, that's always been sort of a heuristic thing in my mind of that's helpful. I don't know if it's valid. You know, like I said, if if I, if I that statement goes back to me, it doesn't carry much authority. But if Augustine said it, then it has to be true. Right. Um, Obviously. Because he never misspoke. Never. And he's the authority in East and West and any, every branch of the Correct. church. Correct. Yes. And at the Reformation. <laughs> uh, so that's just a long way around to say the creed of language is helpful and we should. Yeah. I think it's appropriate to close so, in reading. So, yeah, yeah. What, what does Athanasius tell us then? Yes. Well, actually, the creed is not... is called the Athanasian Creed because these were the mm-hmm. hills that he died on. Mm-hmm. But I, the, the wording doesn't go back to him. I think That's it's correct. a few centuries later um, that this gets codified. Um, and I will say, and then you probably are going to cut this out of the podcast, but it begins with, whoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, which everyone would agree with, <laughs> which faith 
no, I mean, sorry, that didn't mean I didn't mean the, that sarcastically. Christians would would say that, that's and right. Catholic is a Catholic. little C there, meaning universal. Universal, right? Right. Um, which faith, except everyone, do keep whole and undefiled? Without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this colon, and then the part I want to read, which goes into describing the Trinitarian relationships. But then my question for you, Kyle, that you need to answer for our listeners mm-hmm. is: Are modalists then? doomed to perish everlastingly because they confound the persons of the Trinity in their theology? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's one for God. Good. Will, will Sabellians be present with us yeah. through all eternity? At the great wedding feast of the Lamb. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That's God's prerogative in who he saves and who he doesn't. One side of me will think to myself, is it really reasonable to believe that the prostitute that Jesus spared in John, who went and sinned no more, immediately or at any point in her life had a perfectly clear understanding of the Trinity, and that knowledge led her to her salvation, or was it Christ's righteousness impugned to her through faith? And I will say it's option B, not option A. And yet at the same time, when we're starting to think about questions of well, who died on the cross? Who's the son of man sitting at the right hand of the ancient of days? Uh, you can get into some hairy waters as well. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, the emphasis we see in the New Testament is faith through Christ's imputed righteousness to us. Yeah. Yeah. What was the Trinitarian theology of the thief on the cross? That's right. In his dying breaths. Um, so I think that's a good point. So I appreciate you saying it. So what saves us? Well, it's Jesus who saves mm-hmm. us. It's not any particular... Um, understanding that we come to on our own yet at the same time we have to confess something that you know that jesus is lord and uh, believe on him and so there is a content to our salvation there is a notional you know aspect to to it there's something we must understand i like the the medieval understanding of faith seeking understanding um can i can i say it like this yeah I don't know. A good I don't know what you're going to say yet, <laughs> but I'll give you permission to okay, try. Okay, thank you. Thank yeah. you. A healthy understanding of the Trinity is unnecessary for one's justification. A healthy understanding of the Trinity is very beneficial for one's sanctification. Hmm. So in the process of our discipleship and in the process of us becoming more and more conformed to the image of the Son, operating out of our justification, operating out of our salvation, understanding who God is allows us to, I'll say it like this, be a better Christian, be a better follower of Christ, be a better disciple of the Son of God. And I would wonder if an individual has spent an entire lifetime contemplating these issues and has never wiggled one way or another, because that would indicate to me it's unimportant to them. And I would I would say that as a word of caution, right? Yeah. That these beliefs are not necessary for the atoning work that Christ has done for us, but they are certainly very important to the life of a believer and shouldn't yeah. just be sloughed off. Yeah. I, w- the, the tact I take with my students now is to say, you know, you're probably going to be damned for this paper you just submitted because it contains modalistic heresy. I don't say that. I was going to um, say, that is that next to the F? Yeah. And then C comments below? It is. Below? It's right below the F. <laughs> it's just a flame emoji. <laughs> that I give them. Um, But what I do try and point out is 
if you were to continue in this line of thinking or embrace the ideas in language that you're using, you're distancing yourself from historic Christian Orthodox right. faith and the historic Christian Orthodox understanding of God. And I want them to see a path there that's one they don't want to explore or go down because I don't want them to continue to distance themselves from the church and what the church has always believed and confessed. And so, you know, I, I try and give a, a warning and you make a good point. We need to give our own selves that warning as we think about these things. And, you know, it's good to check in and say, what did the creed say? And yeah. how does that match up with how I conceive of God? Is that, you know, right. and do I see that in scripture? And is that, you know, square with my practice in the church brad brought up a good point about our prayers earlier and mm -hmm. um you know prayer is maybe the truest index of what we believe um how we pray what we pray but i think we would probably then want to distance ourselves from some of the language in the creeds of damnation and anathema um and maybe stick to where how that word's used by the new testament that's right by paul and galatians one right. of believing another gospel yeah um and we, we want to acknowledge there's much mystery to the being of God, and he's infinitely greater than we are. And if even as complex as the human psyche is and how we can never really know or understand, you know, another person's motives, you know, truly, deeply, fully, completely, even if we're married to that person, you know, mm -hmm. we're always getting to know mm -hmm. our spouse um, and new vistas are opening up before us and how much more so with God, who's infinitely greater than we are and the uncreated light there's going to be much that is dark to us at the end of the day, and we only see in a mirror. That's right, dimly. dimly. So that was the footnote. Yep. The caveat. That was all. To the opening line of the Athanasian Creed. What are the vo What is the vocabulary and the language that we can pick up that is helpful for us to understand Orthodox Trinitarianism against modalism? Good. Well, let's look at the let's Athanasian Creed. And the Catholic faith is this that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, the Holy Spirit incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also there are not three uncreated, nor three incomprehensible, but one uncreated, and one incomprehensible. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, and the Holy Spirit is almighty, and yet there are not three almighties, but one almighty. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet they are not three gods, but one God. Likewise, Lord, for like we are compelled by the Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord, so are we forbidden by the Catholic religion to say there are three gods or three lords. And we might add to say there are just three masks to yeah, the one God right, and not right. three persons. You know, having read that and thinking through those things again, uh, one thing that struck me as you're reading it is that 
the creed rightly identifies the three persons of God, the Godhead in totality is incomprehensible. But what it doesn't say is that he is unknowable. Yeah. And through his general revelation, that being his creation, through his special revelation, that being scripture, uh, that being the conviction and the reproof and the teaching of the Holy Spirit that has been sent to us as our comforter. Um, this may seem difficult, but surely it's not unknowable. In fact, he wants us to know him. And that the, this creedal language is just one way in which the Holy Spirit has gifted the church so that she may understand not only her bridegroom, but the totality of her, her bridegroom. Who is Christ? Who is the Father? Who is the Spirit? Yeah. Yeah, one, one way to think of it is perhaps boundary setting. You know, here's the beginning of the discussion, and here are the, here are the rails, here are the boundaries. Now mm-hmm. let's, let's work it out. Let's talk about this. Um, how does this relate? And then at the end of the day, we can come back and check our work, essentially. Yeah against it you know how does this line up with what we confess as, as the church and uh have we deviated from it or or is this a valid working out of these ideas mm-hmm. and there's room for discussion and growth there and it's a life a lifelong process it's theology is faith seeking understanding so what to ask the question again what's the big deal with modalism anyway Well, because modalism is an easy heresy to adopt, we need to become aware and sensitive to its presence in culture, our theology, and even our personal life. While a proper biblical understanding of Christ's nature is not required for our justification, it is certainly very beneficial to our sanctification, that being our journey of discipleship as we become more conformed to the image of Christ through our obedience of faith. Well, we hope you join us next time as the crew discusses Arius and subordinationism. Number one, Harry Waters is a disgusting and disturbing image. <laughs> Number two, that's like the, that's like Kakish's bathtub draining. Did, that's, did that's I a say Harry Waters? Harry yeah, that's okay, Waters. Though. I want you to leave it in because okay. it is disturbing. <laughs> I might put it at the end.